God looks at the condition of a man's heart and he, he looks to see what the purpose of a man's heart is. And we're going to make mistakes. Has anyone achieved perfect theological fullness? Marty? No, he has not. I can, I can testify to that. Uh, Marty has failed. Minutely, but failed nevertheless. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we're looking at a person who is being admonished, being acknowledged for her deception. And if you say, no, 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 yes, yes, yes. There's no way around it. We're going to take a look at it tonight. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin where we always begin, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And drop down to verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the prostitute, harlot, prostitute, Rahab, did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So what does that tell us? That tells us that she did believe, but the rest of the town did not believe. It also says that she received the spies with peace. She didn't seek ill will for them, and she harbored them in peace. Now to say, well, she, she received the spies with peace, that's what she's being acknowledged for. Okay, okay. All right, let's turn to James chapter 2, you doubters. James chapter 2. And verse 14. James James writes, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also by faith itself, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Is what? Did you hear that? That's the scriptures. I didn't say that. The Lord did. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith without your works and I will show show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So we say, well, that's not necessarily lying. Okay, let's go to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And verse 1. 
Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Stop for a minute. Wasn't Joshua one of the original spies? How many were sent? Who said 12? You get nothing. But you're right. There were 12. And two came back with a good report. Who were the two? Joshua and Caleb. So 30 years, 38 years now pass. Joshua is now on the other side of the Jordan. This impregnable, impregnable, impregnable fortress. Yes, Jericho. Water behind them, massive structure in front of them. And this time he sends out two spies instead of 12 because he's getting a deja vu. Why bother with the other 10? Let's just send two really cool guys that remind me of my youth when I was young and Caleb was young. So he picks two guys and he sends them in. And these two guys enter in seeking a report of the land. So they went and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. This was... This was a brothel. You got that? They're in a brothel. They go there of all places. So let's just back it up, back the bus up. Two guys go into the land. They go into the land. Where are we going to go? They're sneaking through the city. Where, does, where, where do the secret people not want to be seen? In a brothel. And people with hoods on who don't want their picture taken are found pretty commonly in those areas. Amen? Tough crowd tonight. You were doing great earlier. Something happened. I don't know what it was. Oh, stop it. Now you're blaming me. Okay. Q. Yes. All right. And so they lodged there in a brothel, and it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you. So she knew they entered, he knew that they entered in there. Somebody was watching, taking pictures or whatever. They knew these two guys entered in there. They weren't from the area. And somebody gave them up. One of the prostitutes said something. We don't know. And so the king knows, and he's, he's got the entire Jericho region surrounded. He's got his spies. They're waiting for this. They're prepared for it. And they've come to search out all the country. Verse four, the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes. The men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. All right, let's back it up a little bit. They're hiding, as it says in verse 6, but she had brought them up on the roof and had hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in, the, in order on the roof. So, Open up, the king's men are there. Replace Rahab and put yourself there. We've been told that spies came to your house. What's the truth? Hello? We want to search your place. And they're holding spears. Yes, we have warrants. We're the king. Shut up. <laughs> this, is not a, this is not a constitutional republic. It's a monarchy. We kill you. 
You're bleeding in the corner. You're finished. Next. All right. They have spears. What are they going to do in the flax on the roof? And come on, really good hiding place. They look under the mattresses. They look behind the curtains. They go up on the roof. Flax gathered. When they find them and they kill them, who's next? Rahab, she hit him. Okay, work with me. What are you going to do? And this is an honest question. What are you going to do? They knocked on your door. What are you going to do? Yeah, give them up. Lie. Those are your two options. What's that? Okay, now we back that up. We, we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Nazi Germany. Jews hiding in your house. Nazis knock on the door. You give them up. They're dead. You're dead. What are you going to do? And, and we go further with it. Your family's in danger. You already know you're in trouble. You're hiding your family. And they go, we understand your family's here. We want them. You know what's going to happen to them, what's going to happen to your children, to your wife. So step out of your pietism for a second. We hope it works. But let's work on pietism for a second. Who's at fault here? Rahab? Bonhoeffer? Who's at fault? When the Hebrew midwives lied to the Pharaoh's people and the Lord blessed them, who is at fault? Pharaoh, who's at fault? The king of Jericho, who's at fault? The Nazis, this is their deal. We live in a fallen world. God doesn't honor the lying. He doesn't say any, but he also doesn't rebuke it. And why would James put Rahab in a place where it says faith without works is dead? What was she acting upon? Her faith. The value of a human life. Recognizing that God is in charge here. She's a woman who believes. Where does faith come from? The scripture says faith comes from and hearing from the... So she actually said, I believe God's word in that sense. And she knew Deuteronomy 2.25, This day I will begin to put the dread and the fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Remember when they crossed over the, the Red Sea and they got to the other side and they praised the Lord on the wrong side of the, of the Red Sea. But they wrote this poem and they began to sing this praise song and they got to verse 14 of the stanza. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed and the mighty men of Moab trembling will take hold of them and all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as stone till your people pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. So let's go back to Joshua chapter two. They pursue. She tells them you might be able to catch them. They were on the roof, hidden in the stalks. Then the men pursued by the roads, verse seven. 
to Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. What is she quoting? Deuteronomy, Exodus. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. She's quoting scripture that hasn't even been written down yet. The word dwells in her home. She doesn't have any Christian radio. She doesn't have any bookstores. She doesn't have any testament. She doesn't have anything. But what she's heard, she's held on to. For we have heard, verse 10, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og. And by the way, Og oversaw 60 cities and he was considered to be an Anak, a giant in the land, one of these, these Goliaths. They've had excavations of, of rooms that are 18 feet high and doorways that are, that are over 12 feet high with hinges that are three feet. And you look at this, and you think, these are the people they conquered. She hears of all this. You utterly destroyed those people. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. She's got faith. And she's testifying to the power of God and what it's done to the people to the point where the minute they step foot into her house, there were already folks saying, we already know. We have drones. We've been bugging your phones. We have been in Trump Tower. I'm sorry. (laughs) Verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you shall also show me kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, don't give us up, continue to be deceptive. Hello? And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly with you. She let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of what? Scarlet cord. There's a beautiful sermon, one of the best I've ever heard, called the Scarlet Cord of Redemption, and it runs all the way through the scriptures. And this is a picture of that scarlet thread. Scarlet is this idea of blood and the redemption and the cleansing of the Lord through the spilled blood upon the cross. And hang this scarlet, this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on your own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you have made us swear. Now you guys saw the video, right? You saw how the walls of Jericho crumbled, and you saw what's still remaining. One section. Kind of fascinating, yes? Let's add this to it. Everybody's hiding in the house waiting for the Jews to conquer Jericho. How long does it take them when they begin the the siege? Seven days. First day, second day, 
Third day, after a while, the people in the house are going, I have to use the restroom. I want to go to the market. I need to get, you know, no, 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 you don't understand. We have to stay in here. If you leave the house, you're going to die. We have to stay in. No, 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 don't go. No, I got to get diapers. I got, no, 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 stay. And you can imagine her going, stay in the house. You don't understand the fear. Everyone, you can see them trembling. They promised us. We have the cord hanging out. We'll remain. No, no, no. If they conquer, how do we, we have the cord hanging out. Sixth day, barrah. Seventh day, seven times around, barrah, 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 barrah. And now they're panicking as the walls are beginning to shake. We're all going to die. We have to get out of here. No, stay here. You ever been in an earthquake? I remember we were in Redlands, California, and the earthquake hit in the morning. I got to know my neighbors for the first time because they're all outside in their underwear going, hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. Hey, hi. And the first thing we did, I grabbed Molly, ran outside. Michelle and I just wanted to watch our house. We'd go... And the whole house, imagine as everything around you is crumbling and the sound and the rumbling and what's occurring and wondering if the house is going to hold and wanting to run for your life. And Rahab saying, stay. Do you understand the faith involved in this? Would you say that this is works? Is this active faith manifesting itself in works? I would agree. And so she does that. She tells them where to depart to, what to do. They honor every aspect of it. They returned. They were safe. And then they said to Joshua, truly, verse 24, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. How do they know that? Because of what she said. She's motivating the army. You know who, who, who maintained our liberty for us? as you sit here in a land that has experienced freedom for almost 250 years, it was a, thank you. It was a man named Thomas Paine who wrote the American crisis. And it was handed out to the remaining continental forces on July 24, 1776. A third of them had dysentery, actually half of them had dysentery. A third of them had their feet wrapped in burlap sacks because they didn't have boots. And by January 1, the conscriptions would be up and the war would be over and this experiment in this nation would be over. And a feeble ragtag army remaining in Valley Forge on the strength of that letter by Thomas Paine, who was an atheist who died penniless and hated the church. And they had to pull him out of prison during the French Revolution to bring him back to the United States, who struggled with God the entirety of his life because he hated the pietism of the church that they wouldn't engage. And most of the clergy, a handful participated, but one in nine Americans fought in the revolution because they didn't want to soil their hands in the work of that. And he said, these are the times that try men's souls, a summer soldier and a sunshine patriot when the season shrink from their duty of their country. But those who defend it now deserve the love and respect of all men and women. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. He goes on to say, that which we receive too easily, we esteem too lightly. And the greater the conflict, the more precious the prize. And Washington is so moved by it, he hands out a copy of the, of the American crisis to every one of the standing soldiers. They march the 11 miles to Trenton, cross the Delaware, conquer the Hessians on Christmas Day, 1776, have an overwhelming victory. The French enter the war, and by 1781, the Battle of Yorktown, Cornwallis surrenders. And by 1787, we have a constitutional republic and all of you have been sitting in the fruits of that labor. Yes, it was the military, but it was also a man who inspired them. And you have a prostitute 
whose words inspire an entire nation because she stands by faith. And Joshua is moved by it. Turn to chapter 6 of Joshua, please. Look at verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the walls fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young, old, ox, sheep, donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young man who had been spies, went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. Notice we don't see any sisters because apparently they didn't want to listen to Rahab. So they brought out all of her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, her father's household and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and his youngest shall be set up, the youngest he shall set up its gates. And the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Interesting about this woman, right? She survives, her whole family survives. And I don't care how you want to slice it, she survived by lying. Put yourself in her shoes, figure this out. God doesn't condemn, but he doesn't condone. I can show you hundreds of verses where God condemns lying. I can show you four accounts where he doesn't condemn it, neither does he condone it. What's my point? My point is, faith without works is dead. And if you want to just have faith and stay in the insular church and rightly divide your word of truth and make no inroads into culture and be fearful of making a mistake, you'll have no effect to transform the world. And you're going to do it in some trying times, especially as Christians now in a postmodern world. We've had a good run of things here for a few hundred years. It's been easy to live upon our faith and argue over our eschatology. But now we're coming to a place where we're losing those freedoms because we haven't engaged the culture to establish them. And while we've sat comfortably within our pews, the world around us has imploded. And we're going to have to make some tough decisions in the coming days. Imagine a nation that was responsible for the gospel and the Protestant Reformation that transformed the Western world and gave us what we have today, a constitutional republic of the United States of America. Germany, Martin Luther. Martin Luther believed lying was okay. Martin Luther was also an anti-Semite at the end of his life. He had some issues. Augustine and Calvin believed you should never lie. It's contrary to the nature of God. Martin Luther believed to protect the church it was necessary at times. Both of these are dangerous. There's a balance. Where is that line? I don't know. I do know this. 
that we rise and fall before one master, and that's the Lord, and who am I to judge another man's servant? We can stand in judgment of Rahab. We can stand in judgment of the midwives. We can stand in judgment of Elijah. We can stand in judgment of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Look at this. I'll read it to you. In the later period of Bonhoeffer's life, he surrendered to a kind of irresistible reality to worldliness, that is, to the guilt and shame of German corruption in order to rid Germany of that corruption by praying and working for the defeat of Hitler. How he lived during this period contrasts the vision he articulated in The Cost of Discipleship, where he did an outline of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most fascinating expository teachings of the Sermon on the Mount I've ever read. Here's how Bonhoeffer put it in the last year of his life. For a long time, I thought I myself could learn to have faith by trying to live something like a saintly life. I suppose I wrote discipleship at the end of this path. Today, I clearly see the dangers of that book, though I still stand by it. There is tension here between this worldliness and his earlier discipleship, cost of discipleship book, that he has to say he still stands by the early work as a telling concession that emerged in his thinking as a result of his participation in the conspiracy. It's called the April 20th conspiracy. He tried to assassinate Hitler. He was a pastor who participated in a conspiracy to assassinate Hitler. You know why? As he was... He was of the upper crust of German culture and German society. He had access to all of the intelligence of all of the inner workings of the Nazi regime. He come from a very high-ranking Prussian family, and he had the highest level connections. Bonhoeffer knew what was involved at the deepest level of life when he chose to enter into the conspiracy. Listen to these words that reflect his, conspiracy, his experience in the conspiracy and what it was doing to character. We have been silent witness of evil deeds. We have become cunning and learned, the arts of obvious, uh, obfuscation and equivocal speech. Experience has rendered us suspicious of human beings, and often we have failed to speak to them a true and open word. Unbearable conflicts have worn us down and even made us cynical. Are we still of any use? <clears throat> we will not need geniuses, cynics, people who have contempt for others or cunning tacticians, but simple, uncomplicated, and honest human beings. Will our inner strength to resist what has been forced on us, uh, wait, excuse me, will our inner strength to resist what has been forced on us have remained strong enough and our honesty with ourselves blunt enough to find our way back to simplicity and honesty? The admission of the need to find our way back is the revelation of the contrast between the two periods of his life. He struggled. Let me read you a quote of his that is pretty telling of the struggle he had. Let me find it here. Here it is. He says, we are not simply, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are, dri- we are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. This machinery that killed six million Jews, he wanted to shut down. He says, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. He couldn't envision Germany under Nazi regime. It grieved him. He wrote, Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valued. He said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless Not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. 
A truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. Who is this man? He's a man that was faced with a circumstance none of us have ever had to face. What would you do? What would you do when the soldiers of Jericho come to your door? What would you do when Pharaoh's guards come and ask you why the children are still being born? What would you do if the Nazis came to your door? What would you do if you had the ability to kill Hitler and stop this? What would you do? A is lying. B is stopping the destruction of humanity. If you stand for A, you're guilty of B. If you stop B, you're guilty of A. It's called the lesser of what? In a perfect world, that wouldn't exist, but in a fallen world, it does. This story about Rahab putting her in the hall of faith, contrasting her with Sarah and Rahab, the only two women listed. I could think of a number of women I would rather put in the hall of faith than Rahab if I were a Jew. But what's God saying? Your knowledge of the word and your observation of the law doesn't save you. It's your faithfulness to act upon it. Believing God. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. Her actions, though flawed, were actions of faith. Do you understand that? The church has been paralyzed. We're afraid. Afraid to make mistakes. And we're under a covenant of mercy. Study the word. Do the best you know. Walk that line. And if you fail, God's grace is sufficient. But don't use it to justify deception. I love this. In a broken world, sometimes a lie is justifiable. But every lie, even the justifiable one, is a sad reminder of the brokenness of our world. A lie doesn't build culture, but it can destroy it. And some cultures need to be destroyed. That was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's mindset. The simple truth is Rahab lied. We studied this Sunday. And the Bible clearly, clearly condemns deception. But you look at this. God didn't justify her lie, but he didn't condemn it either. And I look at this and I think, what's the answer? We looked at Luther, we looked at Augustine, we looked at Calvin. Both are divided in what should have been done. Dietrich Bonhoeffer hated lying. He actually ended up repenting of it. But he lied for what he believed was a greater good. The very last act of Adolf Hitler before he shot Eva Braun and then shot himself, the very last order he gave was to hang Bonhoeffer. That guy was a thorn in Hitler's side. Loving somebody and wanting to protect their life seems to trump every rule in Christianity and Judaism. Where do I get that statement? Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself and on these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. I marvel that we're concerned with lying while we allow murdering in our community. Where's the outrage to Planned Parenthood? I shared with the staff, and I've been using it as an illustration because it's in front of me, just like the election was, and people got tired of the same illustration. And I, I pointed out to a, a member of the staff that is just such a precious brother that has been persistent to ask me these questions because he really wants to understand. And his comment was, where is the line? And I said, look, I've had Brad Cummings up here sharing. If you've read the book, you see theological discrepancies that you struggle with, as do I. If you've seen the movie, you've seen theological discrepancies that you struggle with, as do I. My point to them was, Name one other person who's at an inroad into the mountain of influence of arts and entertainment from Christendom like Brad has. We can fault Rahab. We can fault Bonhoeffer. But he's acting on faith. Does he make mistakes? Just like I do, you bet. But he's doing it. Because faith without works is dead. We'd rather sit back and contemplate what faith is as opposed to act upon it. Think about the number of things we as a people of God can do right now. And I watch a man struggling in that industry. And rightfully so, the body of Christ struggles because the currency in the body of Christ is truth. And they want to analyze the movie, which I completely understand. But they lose another picture of a man making inroads into a culture that are, that's transforming it. And that's why Christendom struggles over Bonhoeffer. It is comfortable here, isn't it? We've got the air at a good level. The, che- the, the seats aren't that f- stiff. Wouldn't it be nice just to stay here and read the word? But what mountain of influence are you affecting? It's easy to complain and make an issue as a motorboat goes by and you're sitting in an inner tube that they made wakes. But the idea is to engage the culture. Will you make mistakes? Yes. Is God's grace sufficient? You bet. I'm not going to take a lot of time tonight, but I want to share this with you. I read it on Sunday, but I think it deserves another observation. Think about deception, especially in the church. When you pass along gossip that injures a neighbor, you're not excused simply because the gossip is true. If you're not part of the solution or part of the problem, why are you participating? Sometimes covenants are broken by the demand that the truth be told relationships. I have a relationship with my wife that's between me and my wife, and you engage in that by spreading gossip, which hasn't happened. I'm using it illustratively. The church is really awesome. But you participate in that. That's none of your business, right? Bonhoeffer told a story that I'll repeat. 
A teacher asks a child in front of the class whether it is true that his father often comes home drunk. It is true, but the child denies it. Bonhoeffer says that the child is not wrong to lie. He suggests that it is the teacher who is at fault here rather than the child by abusing the relationship. The teacher exploits the obligation to tell the truth to force the student to reveal his father's weakness in front of the class to violate his covenanted identity with his dad. It's none of the class's business. But the teacher in authority demands the truth that destroys a relationship that has no business being shared in front of a class. Who's at fault? The child or the teacher? The teacher. Can a Christian participate in the CIA, the NSA, or the FBI and do covert activity? Can my nephews in SEAL Team 5 who's being considered for DevGrew, allowed to be, a co, be, be undercover and lie as a Christian. Yeah. But can those lies get out of control and be justified? Yes, we're watching it count, countless times. Seems like our intelligence agencies are out of control right now. We've lost accountability. We don't know who does what. But I don't want to lose sight of the hero of the story, and that's Rahab. For those of you who struggle over Rahab, wondering why she's in the hall of faith and why James would use her, and why the scarlet thread of redemption would be applied to her, let's close by turning to Matthew chapter 1. Let's, think, let's look to see how highly God thinks of Rahab. <clears throat> The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz by who? Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Well, that makes Rahab King David's great-grandmother. Is that right? And it makes Rahab Jesus Christ's great-great-great-grandmother. You got a problem with her? Well, not only is she in the hall of faith, but she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. God honors faith that has works, even if at times those works cross the line. God's more concerned with the intent and he's blessed by the action. I'm more impressed with somebody who's willing to try and fail than somebody who doesn't want to try at all. And the body of Christ is paralyzed. It's paralysis by analysis. We we just think that Christianity is a wheelbarrow full of rules on a tightrope. And God's saying, go. Go into all the world. Go in to Lionsgate Entertainment. 
go into the political realm. I'll close with this story today. My son-in-law, my daughter said, we don't have our marriage certificate yet. You officiated, we didn't get it. And James says, I gave it to you, you're supposed to mail it. And I go, I don't ever mail those things. I probably gave it to somebody mail. Did you check with your, you know, your groomsmen? I, I called all of them. They don't know anything about it. Oh, well, I don't remember what I did with it. I know I've never failed in over 200 marriages and I'm not sure, but I'm sorry you don't have it. But I'll get it resolved because I know the county clerk. He's a friend of mine. He's been to church. He's a lovely brother in the Lord, Mark Lunn. So I called Mark. Mark called me back. I said, Mark, can I come in? I, I blew it. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we'll waive the fee. Come on in. 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So I drive down to the county courthouse, park my car. I walk in. I have a jar of honey from my beehive and a slab of honeycomb because the gift opens up the way for the giver of the gift. I'm figuring this is a busy guy. He's got his plate full. He's got more appointments than the Pope. And I walk in and they say, hold on a minute. He's on a call. I said, all right. And they say, okay, he's ready to see you now. I go through an arm gate. They clear me. I walk through, go back to the conference room. We sit down. He says, well, let's go back into my office. We go back into his office. We sit down. Here he is. He's captain of the CHP. He was part of Reagan's team. You know, he's got all the, just, wow. Neat, cool corner office in the county facility. We sit down and he says, here's the form, fill this out and we'll get you all set. And so I fill it out and I get the address of the groom's people and I write that down and trying to get the other names and finally get all that down. I hand it to the lady. He says, take care of that for me, will you? And she goes out to take care of it. And he says, so Rob, how you doing? I said, well, I, I'm, I'm doing all right. And all of a sudden she comes back in like moments. She said, the, the marriage license was already approved. It's here. I, I don't know what the issue is. I'm like, I knew that. I'm, and I felt like an idiot. And then she brings me a copy of the license. I, don't, I go to pay with a credit card. He goes, ah, oh, it's a $2 fee. And he gives a $20. He goes, just cover it. I go, hey, thanks, Mark. He goes, well, you bought me lunch the other day. We're good. Marriage certificate, everything's set. And I feel like I've wasted this man's day. And I'm a little embarrassed, quite honestly. And he says, how's it going? And I said, well, pretty good, you know. And we started talking. He says, what are you doing these days? He said, the election, I got to tell you, did you know that Trump was going to, he starts asking me questions. And I said, we were in seven states in the last seven weeks and, you know, ended up winning six of the seven states, lost in Virginia. I read to him about the Polly Awards that we had had, you know, insight into Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and the biggest turnout in the history of Christendom and the work we'd done and started sharing with him. And I started talking to him about our Friday morning men's civic discipleship, how we're going through the Geneva Bible and the context of it in 1620 with the Mayflower Compact and how the old Satan deluder act and how the literacy, biblical literacy was so necessary for a constitutional republic that they set up virtue, faith, and freedom. And I'm walking him through and I'm talking about Squanto and Samoset and sharing all this. And he's, and I go, am I boring? He goes, no, keep talking. And he's like, he's choked up. He goes, Rob, and I'm, I'm sharing with him about the bean patch philosophy and what we're doing around the country. And he's just, he's, he's choked up. He's visibly shaken by it. And he says, you have no idea the timeliness that God brought you here today. I was so discouraged and I'm elated. He says, when is this? I said, 6.30 Friday morning. He goes, I'm going to be there. And he's just, and he says, tell me some more about it. And I lay it out and I go, you want to take the Hillsdale College constitutional course? It's free online. Go through this. It'll bless you. And he goes, oh, he's writing it down. He goes, what's the URL? I give it to him. He's like, Rob, thank you. And, he, and I said, it'll help you in ministering, you know, in your elected position. And he goes, I'm going to get my staff work. This is so great. And lay it all out there. 
profound meeting. He's touched. And as we're leaving, and I talked to him about Matthew 5, that you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, a city on a hill, a polis, a governing structure, salt, salary, the salary of each of these mountains of influence in politics. It's winning elections and arts and entertainment and selling movie tickets. I'm laying it all out. He's blown away by it. And I said, I've learned the salary in politics. I've been able to communicate to pastors that they don't understand the salary. And now they're starting to get it and how you can make an inroad into these areas. And they considered that I was engaging in something filthy and I was, and I'm still a part of it. And there's struggles in all kinds of areas and I've made mistakes, but God's grace is sufficient. We're making inroads and making a difference. He said, Rob, we got to do this. And as I'm getting up to leave, I go, Mark, come here. And I put my arm around him. And I pray for him. And I, I just pray for some of the things I know he's up against. I just lay it out there and I pray for him and he's choked up. He's like visibly touched. And I go, Mark, you know why I was able to come here with a jar of honey and a slab of honeycomb, walk through an armed gate, through security, come back into the county clerk's office, sit down, talk to him about the things of the Lord and put my hands on him and pray for him? He goes, Why? I said, because I know the currency of politics. It's winning elections, and I won mine. And that's why the door opened for me to be with you today. He said, he said Rob, I'm glad you were here. He said, we need to do more of that. Now, I can tell you in the course of, was it Brett, Brett four campaigns? Yeah. I can tell you in the course of four campaigns, we have made enormous mistakes. Some areas we struggled with. Some areas you could look at scripture and go, nah, I'm not so sure that that lines up. But you know what? God knows the intent of my heart and he's shown favor to the actions of my faith, the works therein. That's Rahab. And he calls to each and every one of us tonight. Faith without works is dead. Keep moving. Amen. Did you ever see the movie um, Saving Private Ryan? I got railed by my pastor for watching an R-rated movie, and I've seen many since. One scene is when they're hitting the beach and they're hiding behind one of the metal tank stoppers. Everybody's getting mowed down. Soup, 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 dying everywhere. And they're hiding behind, and you hear bullet after bullet, ping, 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 ping. And they're just sheltered. And they're just trying to stay alive. And the munitions expert comes up as they're all hiding. And if they step out, they die. Dead. And they've got it zeroed in, and they're just annihilating them. Every machine gun had had it all structured. And this demolition expert comes up and says, you've got to clear this area. We can't, we're going to die. He says, I don't care. I got orders to blow this thing. The tank's got to come in. He says, there's no, he says, you, I, you got to move. He just says, muster your gear, let's go. And they kept moving forward. Guys were getting wiped out left and right, but a handful of them made it, finally took out the pillboxes, cleared the beach, barricades blew up, Normandy started, invasion of Europe, and here we are today, none of us are speaking German. And I think about that. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid that your faith is going to put you in danger? I would rather be right with God and be in danger 
which is in danger because all things work together for good. I'm, I'm immortal until God's done with me. And what we have to realize is that we're already dead. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And I can go into any realm of the world without fear and make an enormous difference. And I don't have to be afraid if every now and then, with good intention, I break the rule. His grace is sufficient. I'm not paralyzed, paralysis by analysis. That doesn't mean lying's right. That doesn't mean failure to honor God's word is right. But his grace is sufficient. He'd rather have you keep moving.